You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 3 today, and uh, we'll be looking at that in a few moments. I just want to start out by asking a question, though, with that. When you hear of the word uh, refreshing or refreshment, what do you think of? When you think about being refreshed, maybe this, I have a few pictures that might help. Is this a nice picture of something that would be refreshing for you to just enjoy some nice time at a beautiful waterfall like this with wonderful water that is nice and cool and the air is warm and you can just go and be refreshed there at a waterfall? That sort of thing can be pretty refreshing. One thing I found that was pretty refreshing when we lived in Alberta was actually, believe it or not, I enjoyed and I did find it refreshing to go out for a jog when the thermometer hit minus 40. I mean, I would jog other times as well, but it was a particular crazy challenge to, to go out and to go for a jog. One thing I did learn, you should cover your mouth and your face because you can freeze your lungs. I did find that, that out the, the hard way, but that didn't deter me from going out and taking a picture of the thermometer showing minus 40 and heading out for a jog and the snow crunches and the air is cold and there's just something very refreshing and crazy about that sort of a thing. Or maybe when you think of the word refreshing, you don't think of a jog in minus 40. Maybe you think of something like this. Now that is refreshing. How many of you could go for some of that right now? Oh yeah, for sure. Boy, you think we are charismatic or something? All of a sudden your, hair, your hands went up. That, that, that's good. That's a good thing to do in church to raise your hands. And so, yes, I see that hand. That's good. And, and so that looks rather refreshing. White sand beaches and beautiful ocean and palm tree and different things. You know, I mean, that sort of thing where you just leave it all behind. For some of you, refreshment comes from a good night's sleep. Oh, how many of you enjoy a good night's sleep? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, um, there's nothing better. Did you know now you can actually get an app on your smartphone that tracks your sleeping? Uh, here, here's one. Here, here's some of my, my sleeping on November the 11th. You'll see the, when you flatline, that means you're in a deep sleep, supposedly, and then you kind of have these little, little humps kind of thing here. And, and on, on Tuesday night, I slept 93.3 of, uh, a percentage of my supposedly capacity of what I was supposed to sleep. I think I got, uh, what does it say, time in bed, 7 hours, 24 minutes, um, uh, awake duration, 30 minutes. I was pretty sleep efficiency, 93.3. But then I dropped uh, a few days later to 76%. And, and you, you put your phone beside your bed. I don't know if it's really accurate or not. But, but you put it there. You're actually supposed to put it under your sheet. And then you just lay beside it. And it monitors your sleeping and your coughing. It will even record your sleep talking. If you want it to, you can actually record. Uh, for me, the, the, the recordings are... <coughs> <clears throat> just as I'm still dealing with, at times, a bit of a cough. And so that's all that, the fun that got recorded with me. No weird shouts in the middle of the night or anything like that. So, I mean, sometimes it's a good night's sleep. We can find it to be refreshing. But here for some of you, maybe this describes refreshment for you, is, is this next picture. Put it up on the screen. There we go, a nice cold bottle of Coca-Cola. Who cares what it does to the bumper of your car? You know, you see those little ads or those things on Facebook that it wipes off the rust or whatever. I mean, sometimes just a nice cold drink like that on a hot day, there is just nothing more refreshing. You know what I actually find more refreshing than that on a hot day? Another true confession. You're finding out a lot about me today. 
And uh, this was something that started when I was young, and still today, it is my guilty pleasure. I love doing it, even though I'm sure it's not the healthiest, because who knows what that hose is made of. But there's nothing like drinking water out of a garden hose on a hot day. It just tastes really, really good, especially if it's been running for a while. You know, I mean, if it's warm, it's, it's, it's not terrific. But if it's been running, you've been watering something, and then you just go and you just put your mouth in there, and you just don't care maybe because you're getting it all over you. But it just, how many of you? Guilty pleasure? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, I'm not alone in that sort of, you know what, crazy sort of thing. I mean, I wonder how many of us even today, senior in the hand-raising kind of motion here today, uh, how many of you could use some refreshing today? Yeah. I'm not talking, though, a tropical vacation, even though that would be nice if we could all just ship on out of here right after the service and, and take off on a tropical, tropical vacation. Or, or maybe, you know, I'm not talking about just having a few hours of being pampered at the spa or a few hours away shopping away from the kids or anything like that. I mean being refreshed. I'm talking about real refreshment. And I wonder today how many of us here are tired And not just kind of a tiredness that comes from being weary or being stressed out or, you know, just the tiredness that comes maybe with living with some past regrets or past failures. Things that, oh, if only I would have done that differently. Maybe it's living with guilt. And these kind of things are are just tearing you down. It's wearing you out. Things that you're confused over. Certain situations that have gone on in your life or in friends' lives or in families' lives. And, and you're just kind of... It, it causes you concern and you wonder what's being... You know, just, just what exactly is going on. And, and, and you're tired and you're weary and you're like, I need to be refreshed. Well, I want to declare to you, I want to tell you that God's Word brings refreshing. God's Word brings change to us. And in Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight, we have this incredible invitation from Jesus Christ. And he says in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, "Come to me, all who are who are uh, tired and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Jesus is offering us rest, and he says, "Take my yoke upon you." Well, today we're going to flush out how that actually happens, how real refreshment can take place in our lives. What does true refreshment look like? What does this coming to Jesus look like? Because he says, if you come to me, you will be refreshed. I mean, who wouldn't want some, some uh, you know what, just, j- just to have everything laid down at the feet of Jesus and, and, and be able to enjoy rest with Him? I still, even though I am um, in my 40s, I still, when I go home to my parents' home in Regina, there is something about being home under the authority, under the the banner, in a sense, of my parents' home that there just seems like there's extra safety and there's extra... I sleep well there. Why? Because I'm there with somebody who I know... I mean, they've been watching out for me physically and now especially spiritually through their prayers. I got a phone call from them last night, both on speakerphone, left an answering a message on our, on our voicemail, just saying, we love you, we're praying for you. And there's something about being able to rest in your parents' home. Well, there's something powerful for us as believers to rest at the feet of Jesus, to be refreshed, to be rest, to find it there. And it's possible. 
And I'm talking more than a vacation at the sea. I'm talking more than a good drink out of the garden hose, a kind of refreshing. We're going to look at some people today in Acts 3 who were told how they could be refreshed. And on this day, at least 2,000 of them found refreshing. Life in the ancient Near East was tough. It was not easy. They were under Roman rule. They were being taxed to death. You think you're being taxed? You ain't seen nothing compared to the kind of tax system that was set up for them. Also, for them to be able to, to be under Jewish law and under the authority to, I mean, religiously, they required strict adherence to the Ten Commandments, as well as all of the other rituals and commandments and, and festivals and rituals and sacrifices, year after year, going through spiritual motions, just as well as, I mean, being under Roman rule. Life was tough. It demanded a lot. People were tired. They were weary. And now they're a little bit confused here in Acts chapter 3 because this Jesus guy months earlier and even for the last few years was kind of creating a bit of an uproar and, and people were starting to get rather hopeful and excited that the Messiah had come, but then, but then he was crucified and, and the religious leaders saw, saw through him and they saw problems with him and so they had him crucified and, and he died and, and, and we thought he was the Messiah, what's going on? But then he rose again and, and then he rose again and, and, and then he ascended apparently up into heaven, so said his disciples. And, and then there was this weird thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 with, with this, on the day of Pentecost. Everyone was gathering there in Jerusalem and all of a sudden, everyone with different languages were able to hear the mighty word, deeds of God proclaimed in their own language. How is that sort of thing even possible? And so these people were confused and they were wondering. Some bizarre things were taking place. Could this really be? And then, Peter and John go up to the temple. They're heading there one day. And something amazing takes place. Could this really be what Jesus had promised? Could this really be what the prophets of long ago had stated? People were all excited, many of them. And, and, and one day, thousands went down to the river and were baptized. And, and, and now they were in homes oftentimes gathering together for potlucks and get-togethers. And they would worship Jesus and they would break bread together and, and they would study and, and get into the Word of God. And, and, and these strange things were, were happening. It seemed that there was some hope going on in Jerusalem. And last week we looked at how Peter and John go up to the temple to Jeru in Jerusalem to pray. And, and there was that crippled man who had been crippled since birth, just sitting at the, the gate called Beautiful. And his life was anything but beautiful. And in fact, it was tragic and it was sad. And as he goes up to these, these men, he, as, as they're walking by, he holds out his hand and he asks for some alms. He asks for some money. And as we looked in the message last week, Peter said to him, he says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I will do, I will give you Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that man was walking and leaping and praising God. This man was so excited. I mean, he didn't even take baby steps. This guy who had never walked before in his life was instantly healed. No physio. I mean, this guy was just ecstatic. And I love verse 11 in, in chapter 3. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. 
these people were, were amazed because they had known this guy as this crippled guy for, for 40 years. We, we learn a little later on he was 40 years old and, and, and that the Lord touched him. He was healed just instantly. And so this grew a little bit of a crowd and, and people wanted to see it for themselves. And so Peter, being the opportunistic kind of guy that he was, saw that this was a great opportunity again to preach another sermon. And so in here, we see his second sermon that he preaches. And so he knows that this crowd is hurting. He knows that this crowd needs refreshing. And just think about this in chapter 3. If you're into writing things in, in, in your Bibles and something I encourage you to do, and you don't have to write this down, but, but to, to summarize this, you could quote, one man was healed physically and thousands were healed spiritually in this chapter. They were refreshed. Now I'm going to start reading at verse 12, and you can follow along to the end of the chapter as I read. This is God's anointed. This is God's holy word, and every word is placed in here for a reason. And so we're going to read it here, in, in, starting in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, meaning the crowd, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. At his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled." Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. From heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, this is the, the message that he's giving to them. But the key thing in verse 20, you may want to underline verse 20, because it is a powerful statement that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing. 
Days of refreshing, times of refreshing can come to you, dear folks, who are weary, who are tired, who are worn out. And today we're going to talk about true refreshment. And that's my heart, that's my prayer, that we aren't just a church that gathers together and gets charged up and we listen to the Word, but that we are truly refreshed in and through the Word of God. It's not just my heart, though. This is Jesus' heart for all of us. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 7, in, in, in verse 37 and 38. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus' desire for you and for me is that rivers of living water would flow out of us. Refreshing streams would flow. And just as it was made available there to the people there who were sitting in Solomon's colonnade, as they were there together listening to Peter preach, I'm not talking about simply gathering together for us to do church and go home, next, go home and then return again next week, but that each one of us would know in our own lives today, this afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, throughout the whole week, the days of refreshing that we would experience refreshing from our Lord. This is what He desires in our life. Times of, refresh, of refreshing actually means new life, joy, not just based on, on outward circumstances that make us happy, but a joy that flows from within. There's a huge difference. When good things happen in our lives, we're happy, we're excited, it pumps us up, it kind of gives us some energy for a little bit, and it gives us, you know, just some, some, some perseverance to go on. But we're talking joy flowing from the inside out. There's a total difference in that. And so today we're going to look at true refreshment. So let's get started. True refreshment starts with a humble heart. The crowd was amazed at this man who was healed. I mean, they knew him for 40 years, this guy who was sitting at the gate and that the Lord touched. And so this was a dramatic miracle that took place. And so the crowd was amazed. And in verse 12, Peter says to them, he says, and you wonder about this. You stare at him and, and, and you're looking at us now and thinking that it's by our power or by our piety that we have made him walk. He says to them, not at all. That's not how it happened. He's saying, it's not me. It would have been very easy for Peter to take some of the glory for the miracle that just happened, right? I mean, let's face it. I mean, you reach out your hand and this guy grows, I mean, his feet that have been crippled and his ankles that haven't worked and, and his toes that are probably all gnarled up, all sudden, boom, instantly healed. And he's walking and leaping and praising God. And it, I mean, it's pretty exciting. And, and, and I mean, it'd be pretty cool to be part of something like that. But Peter is so quick to say, wasn't me? Wasn't me? It was the Lord. It wasn't my power, it was Jesus. And in verse 16, he even goes on to say that. This, this was the power of Jesus. I had nothing to do with this. He didn't want to take any of the glory for it. It wasn't my piety even, he says. Meaning, it wasn't my devotion to the Lord. It wasn't my reverence or my holiness or my fa the fact that I was associated with Jesus for so many years. He was so quick to reflect it back to Jesus. Think about it. Just even weeks before, Peter and and especially John and his brother were, were kind of involved in a little bit of a popularity uh, issue there with, with Jesus, right? They, they, they were fighting over who was going to sit at the right, who was going to sit at the left, and it was all about them and their fame. Now, and, and Peter, I mean, he was pretty upfront. He, he was a guy who wanted in. He wanted to be that right-hand guy to Jesus. And now he's just saying, hey, I had nothing to do with this. 
He was so quick, Peter was, to give the glory back to Jesus. You know what? Even in our own lives, though, it's tempting when things go well to start believing the press about us, isn't it? When people said, hey, great job on that. And, and there is a point where you can be thankful and, 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 and are, take pride in your work, but not become proud of your work. Be quick to give the glory back to Jesus. Give Him the credit. It's so tempting to take the glory for ourselves and start believing the news about us. I've watched ministries, I've watched churches, I've watched leaders. The moment that pride shows up at the door and is allowed to come in, I believe in a very real way the Lord just says, okay, just take a few steps back. It's yours. The Lord doesn't share His glory with another. And sometimes that tumble or sometimes that fall can take a very long time. God, God sometimes, uh, my, my uncle who's a pastor, he, he said sometimes the Lord anoints the wrong person. At least in our eyes it seems like the wrong person because that person just doesn't seem very fit. And yet God is using that, that situation to grow and to change and to train people. And yet... In so many ways, pride has toppled so many. We start taking things for granted and, and take some of the glory for ourselves. I mean, that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven, wasn't it? He was wanting some of the glory for himself. He didn't want all the worship to go to, go to God. He wanted to keep some of that. And so Peter was so quick. It wasn't my piety. It wasn't my reverence. He gave it back to the Lord. Soon as we allow pride to start taking over in our lives, watch out, watch out. That's why two key verses from the Old Testament have just impacted my life. And I know I'm a far way off from this. But it's something that daily, daily, daily I'm reminded of. And that's in Psalm 51, verse 17, and in Isaiah 66 too. Those are very, two very similar verses. And in Isaiah 66 it says, but this is the one to whom the Lord will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You want the Lord to look in your direction? You want to know the Lord's blessing and power in your life? Be someone who is humble, who is contrite, who trembles at the word of God and, and, and sees this book as mighty and power in our lives. And, and yes, we can fall short and, and, and we can struggle in and through God's Word and living and proclaiming it, but it's with that humble and broken heart saying, oh God, I can't, but you can. And so quick to keep, keep giving the glory for anything good that happens in our life, to keep giving it back to the Lord. True refreshment begins with the pursuit of humility, a broken and a contrite heart. There's never anyone, no one here on this earth that will ever be fully, truly humble. It won't be. But we continue to keep pursuing it because we've got this, this ego, we've got this pride, we've got this kind of this inner, inner person in our side that's always fighting for significance, always fighting for, to look good, to, to, to feel good, to, to be more than we are. And, and the pursuit of humility, that, 
That's the start of something amazing. That's the start of true refreshment. The second thing that brings true refreshment is it requires truth. It requires truth to be spoken. And just like Peter's first sermon, the second sermon, he, he, he really doesn't hold back very much. I mean, this was no seeker-sensitive sermon that he was preaching. I mean, he was giving it to them. And, and I mean, I, 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 just look at the words, some of the stuff he says. You rejected Jesus. You delivered him over to death. Even the pagan Pilate, he didn't say pagan, but that's what everyone would have been thinking of. Even the pagan Pilate was going to release him, but no, you wanted to release Barabbas, the murderer, and put Jesus, who did nothing wrong, you wanted to have him killed. You people were the ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, he's just, he, he's just like, he, he's like he's in the ring and he's just a punch and just, just giving it, and maybe even a few knees too going at it as well while he's doing that. I mean, he's just giving it to them. He says, I mean, he doesn't stop there. You chose to kill the author of life. You killed God, is what he's saying to them. Rather than to allow a taker of a life to be killed, you killed the author of life. Isn't it funny how society, we always seem, even today, even back then, to honor the wrong people? to look up to the wrong people, to, to, to give the benefit of the doubt to the wrong people. I mean, just look in Hollywood. I mean, the people, I mean, the craziness. I mean, I don't know if you follow the news, and I don't even know why it is news, and yet everyone's talking about it. It's someone crazy like Kim Kardashian and the latest pictures that she has. And, and it's just like, really? This is who we honor? This is the people that we give press time to? We kind of have this knack, they had it back then, of honoring and, and kind of giving the benefit of the doubt to strangest people. And he says, you rejected Jesus. And then a little later, I mean, again, he, he kind of just keeps going for the jugular in, in verses 23 and 24. He warns them. He says, and if any of you reject the words, the message from this prophet, you'll be destroyed. You'll be cut off. That's a serious warning. He's talking about hell. He's talking about being rejected by God for eternity. How many of you would think after hearing a message like this and as Peter is just unloading that, that John, who's with him and the former cripple, now healed man, are kind of like, uh, Peter, um, better ease up a bit, man. You, you're kind of really going to town here. You're really knocking these people. I mean, we're slightly outnumbered. We just might get into a little bit of trouble. I mean, you are, I mean, you're not hiding anything here. You're just giving them the full shovel. Better be careful, Peter. Didn't stop him. But he shares the truth. And sometimes the truth is hard to handle. Sometimes the truth is hard to take. One of the reasons why it's hard to handle and hard to take is because the first thing that pops up when we hear the truth is the inner lawyer in us, right? We like to defend. We like to deflect. We love to give reasons as to why we did what we did. Well, Lord, you know, I'd, I'd be a better husband if you gave me a better wife. I mean, look at the issues that my wife has, uh, prevent, uh, brings into my life. Or, or children that at least would listen to me. Or, you know, I mean, just, I mean, and, and in all of these different things, even you get pulled over by the policeman. We, we defend, we deflect, we give a reason as to why we shouldn't be getting the ticket that we are about to receive. I mean, the truth hurts, and we oftentimes don't like it. 
And even today, how many of us just love to have your faults and your failures and your shortcomings pointed out to you? I mean, I doubt that many hands would go up if we said, you know what, just let us kind of tear up one side of you and down the other side of you. Would you like that? No, we don't like that. I don't. But I know for a fact that if we're ever really going to grow, if we're ever really going to experience the life, the refreshing that God honors and offers to us, it comes only through listening to the truth and then applying the truth into our lives. To speak the truth, even when it's hard, is the most loving thing that you can do. And we have to be willing to say the tough thing. We have to be willing to receive the tough message as well. To speak the truth, even when it's hard, is the most loving thing. And the basis for speaking God's truth isn't our opinion, isn't what I think or what society is teaching. The basis for speaking God's truth is God's Word. This is what we hold up to be the standard by which we speak the truth to others. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So there's a good part for training, and, 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 but then there's the reproof. That's the rebuke. That's the correction. That's the part we often don't like. How, how is our life, how's your life, how's my life, lining up to God's Word? How are we doing in that area? Are we taking and applying the Word of God? What we see here is a crowd that was willing to sit and listen to the truth or stand and listen to the truth. But here's the good part about truth and the necessary part about truth is that even though Peter shares the truth that is hard to give and hard to say, he shifts and he shares some great truth. And he offers hope to the people. And in verse 15, he reminds them, he says, yes, you crucified Jesus and you were part of that, but God raised him up. Don't worry. He's alive. And you were witnesses of it. You saw Jesus who was alive. And, and now you've seen this miracle. This miracle that happened is because Jesus is alive. Yes, you killed him, but this is the good part. He is now alive. And then he makes two more statements. And, and he says to them in verse 17, You acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Really? Did they really act in ignorance? I mean, how could have they have missed it? Could have they not have seen what they were doing? I mean, Jesus, I mean, to a T. You know, a check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark. He, he, was, he, he was marking everything that the Old Testament had prophesied about. And yet somehow they missed it. And part of us would like to, at times, I, I've, I've even thought, I mean, how did they act in ignorance? How could have they have missed it? But even Jesus, what were his words on the cross? As he looked out over the crowd, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They didn't understand. How many times have I heard God's truth declared and I didn't get it? And God has given me a second and a third and a fourth chance to hear and to respond to His Word. He reminded them. He says all of this that happened was part of God's plan. God can use anything. 
And He uses things in our life just as He used these events in Jesus' life. It was all part of God's plan. It's what the prophets were writing about for centuries. And here we see this mix of truth and grace. Truth and hope that was given. And that is always so important. That truth is always mixed together with the love of God. With the hope that there is. And this is what Peter did. Even though these people were guilty of killing the Messiah, God is not seeking to punish them. Instead, He wants to bless them. He wants to restore them. He wants to send them refreshing. That is amazing grace that He offers. And that's what He offers to us. It's what's offered today. To be truly refreshed requires a humble heart. It requires the truth to be spoken. But then thirdly, it also requires that... that Action must be taken. In verse 19, Peter calls the crowd. He says, repent and turn back. This is where hope begins. Until now, it is just head knowledge. It's just giving them information. But now it's a call to action. Do something about it. And he calls these people to repent. Which means not just to say, oh, I'm sorry. But repentance means to have a change of mind which leads to a change of action. That you're going to start living differently. Are you going to turn back to Jesus? I mean, so many of these people were there on Palm Sunday worshiping and excited when Jesus came in. And they saw Him as the Messiah. And He's telling them, now turn back to Jesus. He is the author of life. And repentance is more than just that soreness. It's, it's that desire. It's that, that change of mind that leads to a change of heart, a change of actions. And then fourthly, it goes on and it says, for true refreshment to take place after there's been repentance and there's been, been that turning back to the Lord, true re refreshment brings freedom. And he goes on to say in verse 19, he says, that your sins may be blotted out. Now think about this. We repent of our sins. We turn back. What happens to our sins? They are blotted out. They are wiped off. They're gone. Obliterated. Done with. We are forgiven. The cross of Jesus Christ wipes out our sin. And that leads to true refreshment. Better than a vacation. Better than a good night's sleep or a drink from the water fountain. It refreshes us from the inside out. Sin, guilt, shame, blotted out, forgiven because of the power of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That is where refreshment starts flowing. The same power that brought the healing to this crippled man at the start of this chapter touches the lives as we see in the following, uh, in the following chapter to 2,000 of the people that said yes. The power that caused him to walk and to leap and to praise God caused 2,000 people on the inside and probably even on the outside have a spring in their step and know that they were forgiven, that they were set free, that Christ came into their life and has given them salvation. That same joy can fill our hearts and should be filling our hearts as believers in Christ. This is the rivers of living water that Jesus was promised, to, promised about. It comes through repentance and through believing in Jesus. You say, well, yeah, that's, that's how we get saved. But that's how we continue on in our walk with the Lord as well. I remember as a young pastor in Saskatoon, we had this guest speaker come in for a week of meetings. He was awful. 
Oh, man, he was so good. But I so much didn't like him. Because the Lord used him to, to do this work in my heart. And, and, and even the first night, he just got me through the Word and, and the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And, and there were areas that I needed to make right with the Lord. And, and, and there was one area that went back to my college days that, that came back to, to memory. And, and I asked the Lord to forgive me. And, and for whatever reason, I, I, there was no release. There was release for the other things. But, but for this one thing, it was like, no, Meldon, you've got to make this right. You've got to go back. You've got to make this right. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to go make this right. I mean, that'd be crazy. I mean, I might get fired. I might, I, I might have to go back to the college and stand up in a chapel and confess that I cheated on some exams. That I sat in the back row with a guy who's now a professor at the college uh, and, and looked off his sheet and... and he allowed me to look off his sheet, and it was kind of funny. It was just quizzes. It was, it was like, no, Mel, you've got to make this right. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. I could lose my job. And when conviction of the Holy Spirit starts, there's also a lot of fear that starts to come in, too. And my mind just started going, I, there's no way. Forget it. I'm not doing it. The next night, that speaker spoke, and he was awful. Awful again. So I worked the sound booth. I mean, I, I figured this is a way that I could just be distracted and, and, and not really have to listen. And, and, and then, but there was no joy and it was like this weight on me. And, and finally, third night over, I finally went up to my office right after the message and I found the president's phone number. He was at home and I ended up telling him what I did and I, I, I was ready to accept whatever circumstance. I wanted to be free. And I didn't know what would happen, man. And that kind, kind man, he was silent after I confessed. He was silent for a few seconds. That felt like forever. And he said, Meldon, he said, truth be known. He said, I had to do something very similar that you have just done when I was your age. So good to see the Lord working in your life. Don't stop. I'm telling you, I was walking and leaping and praising God, there was, and yet I, I didn't really want to tell people, you know, I was a little embarrassed about it, thinking maybe the church will still fire me, you know, but, but, but after, I was free. It was like this backpack, this weight had been lifted off. It was so amazing. That's what repentance does when we make things right. And when our heart is right with God, there's no freedom better. You could be in a prison and be free. Because of a heart that is being refreshed by the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of our God. There was a couple in our ministry one year that uh, was a while back that they were sitting in, in our services and the Lord was doing a work in their lives and, and she came to me after a time and made an appointment and, and, and I met with her and and she said, I, I have to confess something. And she said, I, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. But she said, I had an affair with my husband's best friend a number of years ago. We only did it once, but um, she said, I believe I need to tell my husband. And it will crush him and it will destroy him, but I need to be free. And I believe this is what the Lord is, is calling me to do. And I talked with her and I prayed with her and she ended up confessing that sin to him. And it was tough. 
It was hard. She was free. And you know what the Lord did in, her, in his life? Gave him incredible grace and forgiveness that, that he never knew was even inside of him. It wasn't inside of him. It was from the Lord. The Lord gave him the ability to forgive and for the Lord to restore a marriage. Sometimes the restoration story isn't always beautiful, but the heart can be set free. And that is what happens when, when this kind of thing, when, when there's true refreshment, it brings blessing, it brings freedom to our lives. I think of the revival that some of you might be aware of or, or have heard about in the 1970s that started in the prairies. In the middle of winter, you've got to know God's at work in a, in a powerful and a mighty way that, that the fires of revival start burning on the prairies in the middle of winter. And incredible things happened. You know why? Because people were repenting. They were making things right. And it wasn't the, the lost that were repenting. It was the saved people. It was the people in churches. My mother, I remember, and it's actually documented in, a, in sort of a little history about the revival. One of the things that she did, she, she ended up having to go back to a Safeway store. The Lord just convicted her that she needed to go back to a Safeway store because some weeks earlier, there was a bag of potatoes, large family, um, she, big bag of potatoes at the bottom of the cart that she forgot to, to tell the worker about, and the worker didn't know, and she didn't get charged, and she knew it, but she didn't want to go back, and, and, and just the Lord convicted her. You've got to go make it right. Go pay for that $2.98 pound, uh, or $2.98 of potatoes, that sack of potatoes. Go pay for it. And, and so she goes back to the manager, tells him what happened, and he's like, what's going on? He says, you're not the first person that's come back to tell me this. What's going on? When God's people are serious about following Him, serious about dealing with our sin, serious about repenting, it sends a message to the outside world. That's when the prodigals start coming home. That's when people get saved because they see we're real. They know we're fake. We know that we are hypocrites oftentimes, that, that we give the nice little, little answers in our lives that, you know, and, and on the out, on the, you know, that we're doing well and everything's good. And on the inside, we're struggling. And they see there's no power. But when they see there's power in repentance, there's power in a life being set free. There's true refreshment. Now that's available to us and in the future. Not only are there days of refreshing that are available here on this earth, but, but Peter states in, in, in verses 21, and we won't go into all of that, but he states that there's refreshing yet to come. That there's a restoration work that's happening, and one day Christ will return, and then all things will be restored, and we will know ultimate refreshment. But today we can know true refreshment in our lives, even in a world that is crumbling. And then we also know that refreshment and will know that refreshment in eternity. What an absolutely amazing truth. We see in chapter 4 as you go on to see though that they did get in some trouble for proclaiming these truths but we also see that over 2,000 people responded. We see that the church grew from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to now 5,000. And so what do we do with a passage like this? Well, first of all, starts with us asking ourselves the question, how am I doing? How am I really doing? Are you tired? Weary? Needing to be refreshed? Is it fear? Is it guilt? Refreshment requires a humble heart. A humble and a broken heart. It requires 
taking an honest look at our lives and allow truth to be spoken. How are you doing with your thought life? With lust? Are you holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness and not letting it go? How are you at spending time in the Word and being refreshed through the Word and prayer? It's so easy to drift. It's so easy to drift just in little areas. And, and, and like that hymn goes, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to settle. Prone to just start going through the motions. Prone to just start accepting the world's philosophy or that little voice in our head that's, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Everyone's doing it. But it's easy to start accepting the world's philosophy over biblical theology and what God's Word tells us. This is where action needs to be taken in our lives. And it starts with a continual practice of confession and repentance. Turning our hearts back to Jesus. Saying, oh Jesus, there's nothing in my hand I bring. Only to your cross I'm going to cling. It starts with confession. Repenting before God. You say, really? Don't we just do that at salvation? There are some who believe that. That you just repent once and then you're kind of good. Sins are covered. It's not true. Look at the church in Ephesus. This was a good church. Do a study if you, you want. Just do a little research on that. It was a really, really good church. We have the book of Ephesians that's written to the church in Ephesus. We know that, that uh, we know the most about this church that is, is written about more than any other New Testament church. We know they had great leadership in this church. Paul was a part of, of planting that church. Timothy was an elder in that church. So was John. I mean, it was a really, really good church. But what did Jesus write about this church in the book of Revelation? Jesus even had some words to say about this church. And, and he, he, he said, you're a good church. You're dealing with evil and false teachers. And you're busy and you're patiently enduring. And he says, good job. Good cho job, church in Ephesus. But then in, in verse 4 in, in Revelation 2, he says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. The love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. They had abandoned their love of Jesus. They got busy doing church. They got busy refuting false teachers. You can actually love worship and not worship the one who we are to be worshiping. And we get our focus, and, and Jesus is saying, repent, come back to Jesus, get your eyes back on Him. And He tells them to repent. This is a mature church, this is a good church. It's to repent, and we know that they did that. We, they did that in their early days. You read about in Acts chapter 19, the church in Ephesus was a repenting and a confessing kind of a church. In Acts 19, we see that believers are coming together, and they're, they're divulging, they're admitting their sinful practices, they're telling each other, here's where I'm struggling, here's what's going on, and they were dealing with it. And non-Christians saw that they were doing this. This is the, the returning of the potatoes. This is going to people, making things right, and it starts shaking up their society. And it says that unbelievers are saying, I want that. I want the life that you have. That's amazing. The world is drawn to our authenticity, not our hypocrisy. The world is drawn to us desiring to live an authentic life that we are real people that are really messed up, that struggle in real ways, but we're leaning on a real Jesus. 
And we're coming to Him in repentance and saying, Lord, I can't, but You can. And Lord, I need You. It's just repenting of the fact that at times we're so self-sufficient thinking we can do things in our own strength, in our own power, our own ability, and we can't. But it's all from the hands of Jesus. That's that humble, that broken heart. It's Peter saying, I have nothing to do with that. That's all Jesus. You are still alive today because of Jesus. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. For you to be refreshed, even though life circumstances, when you walk out of here, won't change, but refreshing can happen. Oh, that we would be real people that have experienced true refreshment. That's what real refreshment is about. Humble hearts, allowing the truth to be spoken over our lives and responding to those truths calling to action, being a repenting and confessing kind of a people. You know what? We, we can be a church, and as time goes on, and the Lord grants growth to us, and we continue to grow, and we see things happen, we can just be a busy church. We can be known for, for this or that or another thing, but may it be primarily that we are people who are in the pursuit of humility, falling on our knees before God. We are repenting people, not trying to fake it that life is easy and life is good, when it's not, but quick to worship Jesus and, and to return to Him with all of our hearts. Father, we come before You today and just know that this promise for refreshing comes to us because of Jesus. Because of his love demonstrated for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that those truths, Lord, are new and fresh to us even here today. That you desire to refresh each one of us here today. Lord, your word, at times it hurts, it corrects, it rebukes. It cuts into our hearts, into our lives, into our thoughts, and yet your word brings hope, healing, and refreshment, and streams of living water happens as we are set free in our walk with you. Thank you that forgiveness with you is immediate, that life situations and circumstances will not often change in the timely manner or instantly in the way that we want, but you will give us the grace and the strength to get through it. May we find our rest, our hope, our life in Christ. In Christ alone. We wouldn't need to turn to false things to, to find our ultimate refreshment. We thank you for beaches and for spas and for cold water. We thank you for those things that refresh us from the outside, but Lord, thank you that you bring that refreshment from the inside. You do that restoration work in and through us. And for that, Lord, we thank you.